0: Welcome to the Conversations That Matter Podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. It's a short podcast today, but one I felt compelled to do because I've had many people reaching out to me over the last week and a half asking me, John, can you comment on the Alistair Beg same-sex wedding issue? And to be fair, uh, I did actually say something about this in a previous video, but the title did not suggest that the topic was about Alistair Begg. And so I think many people uh, missed that and then didn't realize I had already said something. And um, I think because there's been some development on it, I thought, well, you know what, I, I'll just make another video because there's been some things since then that have been said. And um, there's a few other issues that I thought about that would be good to raise. And so um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about it. We're going to play some clips and uh, go from there. Before we do, though, I want to let you know about a sponsor for this podcast, and that is Screen It, Screen It Books. Uh, It's a great tool that uh, some some really great people have put together. These are Christians who care about the kinds of things that you do. Uh, Screenitfirst.com is the website, screenitfirst.com. And it's a uh, library, or at least that's the intention for parents to go to where they can look at books that their kids could potentially be reading and see if there's anything objectionable. And so how it works is when you, and, and, and this is, really uh, how they get this library of books together is you as a parent, if you are going through a book with a child or you're looking at something your child's reading, if you find something in it, they have a place you can go to and you can screenshot that page. You can flag it for whatever it is, foul language, sexual content, violence, racism, LGBTQIA+, plus, alcohol, drugs, lying, stealing, dark content. These are just a few of the categories that they have. There's There's a number of them. And you can just say that, you know, this is what's happening. So other parents can be aware for their children. Uh, And of course, I think we're used to thinking this way when it comes to media. But um, I don't know if it's just uh, where I live, but I've noticed that parents tend to, from when I was a kid, I even noticed this, be more lenient when it comes to books, you know, because as long as their children's reading, right, reading is a good thing. The media, the uh, looking at images, that could be the dangerous thing. But, you know, reading's good. And as long as they're reading... Sometimes the content they're reading, though, is just as bad, if not worse. So um, this is a really helpful tool. And I would just suggest go to ScreenItFirst.com. And you know what? You can also help them. You can um, uh, go to that uh, help section, help screen books, and it'll give you a list of books that have not been screened yet that uh, you can actually add to their database by screening. So here's, uh, here's one. Uh, because of Mr. Terrupt, I've never heard of this book, but it, it needs to be screened. Children are reading this. So if you press Screen It, uh, you can then upload images and uh, make comments about what it is in the book that, that you thought was objectionable. So, uh, this is a great resource for parents screenatfirst.com. All right, let's talk about this Alistair Big stuff. Um, I want to start with the original clip. This is, uh, I first saw this at Reformation Charlotte. I think it's called the Dissenter now, but Jeff Maples is doing a great job just kind of cataloging this stuff, which is where I got uh, a lot of this. And uh, he put this clip out there. This was probably over a week ago, a week and a half ago now. And this is what Alistair Biggs said.
1: In very specific areas, this comes across. I mean, you and I know that we field questions all the time that go along the lines of, uh, my grandson is about to be married to a transgender person, and I don't know what to do about this, and I'm calling to ask you to tell me what to do, mm. which is a huge responsibility. And in a conversation like that just a few days ago, um, and uh, people may not like this answer, but I asked the the grandmother, does your grandson understand your uh, belief in Jesus? Yes. Does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance uh, in any affirming way the choices that he has made in life? Yes. I said, well, then, okay. as long as he knows that, then I suggest that you do go to the ceremony, mm-hmm. and I suggest that you buy them a gift. Hmm. Oh, she said, "What?" She was caught off guard. I said, "Well, here's the thing. You're not going to, your, your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce." The fact that they said these people are, what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared Mm -hmm. to countenance anything. And it is a fancy, it is a fine line, isn't it? It really is. And people need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But I think we're gonna take that risk. We're gonna have to take that risk a lot more if we want to build bridges into the hearts and lives of those who don't understand Jesus and, and don't understand that he is a king.
0: So I don't want to make a mountain out of every molehill, but uh, I'm not sure exactly what he means at the end there by working out our salvation with fear and trembling on this particular issue. I don't know if he's just throwing that out there as an expression, but the context of course is he's preaching through the sermon on the plane and uh, he wants to really communicate to the audience. And this is on his radio show, I believe uh, truth for, Li- um, is it truth for life? I, I just saw the, we all just saw the Yeah, truth, truth for life. Um, He's trying to tell them that this is what Jesus would have us do in order to be a good witness. So being a good witness, I think, then um, creates this fine line, this tension between, do I go and support in some way, or at least give the impression that I'm somewhat in support of what's going on, right? And I think Alistair Big would want to say that he doesn't support what's going on at all, and we should not uh, indicate that we're supporting that. But, you know, do we um, do we risk giving that impression in order to be a good witness? And, uh, and so Alistair Begg comes down on the side of this is this is what being a good witness is, is you get them a gift. You go to this uh, illegitimate ceremony for an illegitimate marriage. It's not actually a marriage. It is a pretend uh, ceremony. I mean, biblically speaking, that's what you have to say. And Alistair Begg, I think, would be the first to say that. But you, uh, you, you somewhat tip your hat to the fantasy here. You, uh, in order to love that person, in order to accept that person, in order to not reinforce a stereotype that person may have about Christianity and your faith, you end up playing the part of an accomplice because you go to this fake ceremony and you treat it as legitimate. You give them a gift. Uh, these are the kinds of things that one does for a legitimate marriage that two people are coming together, male, female, to share their lives, spend their lives together in a covenant. And because they're spending their lives together, that's why you get a gift, right? Because they they usually start out with a, a financial need and they're having, they're, they need to buy their own stuff. They need their own place to live and their own stuff there. So that's why you get a gift at a wedding, at least traditionally it has been it. Now you're gonna get them a gift so they can start their lives together in this pretend fake and sinful and evil relationship according to scripture. So it's obviously wrong. It's obviously confusing. And um, and of course I said as much, but I, I think the last time that I addressed this, I wanted to give Alistair Begg a bit of an insanity defense. I, I really wanted to. I didn't know if I actually could, but I know I really, really wanted to. Uh, and and that's just because I know that he's had a, a number of years of uh, faithful preaching for the most part. Um, I, I have had people reach out to me and tell me things like, you know, Alistair Biggs' church during COVID was uh, going along with everything the state told them to do. I know people have told me that there are elders at the church who are essentially preaching critical race theory related uh, content. Um, I haven't seen, though, firsthand, uh, like, primary sources of this kind of thing. And I haven't really gone and looked for it either, but, um, you know, it doesn't shock me. And, 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 maybe that's the first thing to say before we play the other clips that I have for you. Um, it does not surprise me. And, and maybe it's because I've developed maybe a slight cynicism since I've seen so much corruption and <clears throat> so many people have been exposed that I used to look up to. Uh, even a few years ago that maybe I'm, maybe I'm callous, maybe, and I'm just being real with you in the podcast audience here. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I think that's just a reality. Um, But I think with him specifically, there's something else going on there. And it goes back to me, this isn't a huge revelation to all of you, but it maybe explains why I'm not as surprised. When I was at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, Alistair came and he preached a message. It was a good message. And I talked to him afterward. He was very nice to me. Um, I realized something about him at that moment uh, when I talked to him. He could he he has like a photographic mind, uh, or it's an amazing mind for remembering things. Uh, like he remembered some line from a Gene Hackman movie about Poughkeepsie, and my friend was from Poughkeepsie, and he, he could and and he could just reach back years and remember things that I think most people it would just slip their mind. And so I, I realized that about him. Uh, that doesn't really relate to this, but I but an amazing mind. I also though. Um, one thing I, I saw in him was, um, and since then as well, is he's very ingrained in evangelical institutions. Even though uh, I believe his church is independent, they're not part of like the Southern Baptist Convention or anything like that. Uh, he he does a lot of stuff for Calvary Chapel. He does a lot of speaking outside of his church and um, for for denominations for the Southern Baptist Convention. In this case, he's at Southeastern and. Uh, he's been there more than once uh, I believe and and he uh you know speaks at the Gettys Christmas thing he's spoken there I believe a few times in New York City uh, and and he just you see him pop up in all these different places and I know that people who are in who have those relationships extensive relationships for decades of ministry it's very hard not to get pulled kind of in the direction that everyone else is swimming and to have somewhat of a resistance to wanting to call those people out, even if you disagree with them. So I didn't know whether Alistair Begg was woke or not. He didn't really take much of a stand, but that indication itself, the fact that he's speaking at places that were going woke at the time, that he um, did not take a recognizable stand on these things, that kind of told me what I think I needed to know. And, it didn't, I didn't paint him as an enemy in my mind. I didn't tell anyone not to listen to him at all. That he's some people are like that. He's compromised. He's not taking a stand on this. Well, I just figured he's probably there's probably a weakness there. And he doesn't see it as big of a deal as some people see it. Or, you know, he, he maybe because he's from another country originally, he feels like some of the 2020 things uh, regarding America's history uh, aren't for him to weigh in on. I don't know. But for whatever the reason, He saw what happened with John MacArthur, how John MacArthur was vilified. He didn't stand up and defend John MacArthur in that moment. He didn't, and I'm not saying he had to, but it's just a culmination of things that transpire and you don't say anything, it becomes saying something. It becomes, uh, that neutrality actually translates into an inability or, or an unwillingness to stand against, uh, some, some very evil things, frankly, that are happening in the church. Um, In my opinion. So this is based on just my experience. This is based on watching other pastors and leaders in the church, uh, sometimes even from a a much closer vantage point than with Alistair Begg. But I I wasn't expecting a lot from him. So when this statement came out, I wasn't expecting a lot. Um, And and of course, he said other things as well. Uh, This is another thing that someone pointed out to me recently. And apparently Alistair Begg has held this position for a while, but I'll just play this clip for you. This is a different issue. But um, he's not a perfect man, and, and it is anyone, right? But he's, he, he has some weaknesses in his theology uh, in certain areas. And, and generally speaking, if you start getting a little weak on the sexual stuff, you've probably started getting weak on women in teaching roles first.
2: Affirming the prohibition of women in the role of a teaching pastor or of a ruling elder, we recognize also the role of women as teachers. Because the prohibition is governed by the word "men" and it is governed by the context. It doesn't mean that women can't teach anywhere, anytime, anyhow. And again, the New Testament is littered with people and women in teaching roles. First Timothy 2 makes reference of it. 1 Corinthians 14 does. And one of the chestnuts that always comes up—and we won't have time for questions, you'll be relieved to know—he said to himself, um, one of the chestnuts— <laughs> One of the chestnuts that always comes up and says, Well, you did that thing on 1 Timothy 2, and then you had Helen Rosevere come to the church. Na-na-na-na-na. And she spoke on a Sunday morning, and she's not allowed to speak on Sunday mornings because of 1 Timothy 2. Yes, she's allowed to speak on Sunday mornings if the elders determine that we'd like her to. She's not going to speak as the pastor and the teacher. She is not going to speak in a position of rule and authority, but she has something to say, and we like to hear it. There are women who have unique abilities in relationship to, for example, dealing with bereavement. And if that woman has something to share with a fellowship in the context of the Lord's Day worship, then she can come and share it, providing it does not negate all that we have said. In other words, loved ones, we can't take a principle and make a law out of it. And legalists always make laws out of principles because it is far more comfortable than you can always have it cut and dried. But principles must be principles and laws remain law.
0: OK, so he's preaching on First Timothy, Chapter two, and he does the classic soft complementarian uh, take on on that by saying that. Uh, but by really separating that there there's this uh, role, uh title, an office that women cannot be part of. They can't uh, fill that because God has ordained only men and he's prohibited women from filling that role. And then saying, but there's, there's another thing here. There's the thing that that role does. So there's a function here and the function is one of them. One of the functions at least is, is, speaking, preaching on in the context of the Lord's Day service, giving instruction uh, from scripture. And that's when he comes in and says, well, you know, a woman can do that if it's under the elder's authority. So as long as it's under the elder's authority, he thinks that's okay. And, and this is a position that you've heard um, in different forms and maybe with their own nuances from others. Uh, Danny Akin's the first one that comes to mind who advocated this kind of a separation where there's a, a particular place for a woman to come in and even preach on a Sunday morning, but it's got to have these stipulations. And um, I think of J.D. Greer really wanting to have women come in and fill any role that they can possibly fill except the ones that are uh, specifically prohibited. And, uh, you know, there's uh, even if if memory serves me, I think he even said something like women can, they can uh, lead Bible studies or co-lead Bible studies to mixed audiences and these kinds of things. So, the, the stress the, the, or, or the pressure is toward uh, trying to elevate women into as close as you can get to these positions without giving them the titles, without giving them the actual office um, and, and denying that they're getting these positions, but letting them fulfill the roles in some ways. And of course, the mockery is always towards those uh, th- those fuddy-duddy fundamentalists, right? Those people who want to say, that's wrong. Hey, hold hold it. The Bible says, and then mocking them, calling them legalists, that kind of thing. That that this is just a typical play we've seen for a while. And so Alistair Beg, uh, somewhat I guess was part of that. And again, I'm not th- this is a I'm walking a fine line myself here because I, I I don't want people to take what I'm saying and run with it and say, well, John said Alistair Beg is a false teacher or is a heretic. I'm not saying those things. I think that he has some blind spots. And or it's very hard for me to conceive of him having a blind spot with uh, this this transgender wedding issue, as I'll explain in a moment. But 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 he either has blind spots and or um, he is just plain wrong in some areas. He is capitulated to the culture. I, and I, culture is not the word actually I wanted to use there. Um, to the world is really the, the, the right biblical word there. He's capitulated to the world. He doesn't know, doesn't think that's what he's doing. But he has, that pressure is there and he has felt it. And he has, so, so these are your options. You don't really have another option outside of this, unfortunately. And it's one thing to get some secondary or tertiary issues wrong. Uh, And and I would say that, um, you, you know, something like, uh, something like this issue this this issue of of women uh speaking on a sunday morning i can I can see how he's trying his best to maintain what the scripture says, and yeah, he's still my brother, I disagree, but he's still my brother in Christ. It's a step more, and I think this is why this is a is really resonating with people it is a is a further step than to start saying you know what you can go and you can kind of make a confusing statement on uh, as to whether you affirm of something that God calls an abomination, it's toiva, it's, uh, it is absolutely something God hates, a, a wedding uh, that is totally uh, uh, illegitimate, and it's something that um, it is, a, it's really a war against the creator and his design, and you can go and somehow give a gift so that you can preserve your witness. I, I think now people are starting to dig into the archives, they're remembering other things he said, and they're saying, yeah, you know what, I think he kind of capitulated there too, And maybe this wasn't as big of a surprise. So I'm not saying not to listen to any of his preaching. I'm not saying that uh, he doesn't have some good commentary, but there are, I I do wanna talk about, after we play uh, these last two clips, I do wanna talk about two things. And one is being a witness and have evangelicals, evangelical leaders, have have we had a blind spot for for years in, in our circles? with trying to maintain a witness or preserve a witness by sacrificing the truth. And then the other thing, of course, is the exegetical preaching model, because I think Alistair Big somewhat typifies that, as does John MacArthur. Is there a weakness in that somehow Uh, in in some of the ways, as 2020 revealed some of the ways that that's a weakness? I want to talk about that too briefly. First, we're going to play two clips, though. This is a first clip and and this um, this took away my ability to give Alistair Big the insanity defense because I want to say maybe he's getting older and sometimes you say crazy things when you get older. I really wish that was the case because I've seen other pastors do that. Um, I think uh, one of the uh, 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 big um, pastors that I can think of doing that was uh, Chuck Smith, and so so I've seen that before because uh, he was I think recommended like having a a, a lady who called in. He said. there were certain circumstances in which an abortion can take place or something like that so 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 you have that um and and people just say he's getting older billy graham was the same thing so people say he's getting older he's starting to say these wacky things and and you want to say that because you really like the other things that they've said throughout their ministry and it's like man don't let your ending be so bad and it's like well, maybe that's what alistair bakes doing but then this happened
3: family radio for i don't know 10 or 12 years maybe in this particular time slot we've had a great relationship with the pastor Bag and his whole team, uh, uh, you know, at uh, the, at their ministry, I think he, he serves a church in in the Cleveland, Ohio, area. Anyway, something has happened recently which has forced our hand here at American Family Radio to make a decision on continuing uh, the Truth for Life program on AFR or not. And we're going to talk about it. We wanted to explain to you, our listeners, what happened and what went into the thinking of our decision. So joining me in studio, Wesley Wildman's uh, with me, but Evan Tagliano and Walker Wildman. Uh, And I just heard about it last week and uh, a few days ago, whatever. And so people heard that answer and uh, people began to call us. Hey, what are you going to do? You hear what Alistair Begg said? Uh, What's your opinion, uh, American Family Radio, of what he said? So that's what I mean by it forced us to uh, take a, a hard look at this and make a decision. <clears throat> on what, what, if anything, we were going to do about it? Uh, so, Ed, you and Walker had a phone conversation with uh, not Alistair Begg himself, but his team. Is that fair? Yes. Oh, uh, yesterday.
4: Yes. We, we
3: wanted we wanted to give him an opportunity to
4: say, "I messed up right there." Right, and and uh, I, I think it's the wrong. I said the wrong thing, and I, I'd like to recant. Sure. And and we and in any case, we want to do the Christian thing, and in as much as we can. Sometimes with public statements. You can't get in touch with the person who made them, but because they're public, you can comment publicly. But we have had such a long and fruitful relationship with uh, Truth For Life and Alistair Begg, we wanted to have some sort of interaction. Now, let me just say from the outset, and then I'm gonna get Walker to to, to join in here too, that uh, the, the the two individuals that we talked with, so Walker and I with two individuals from Alistair Begg's ministry, they made it clear that Alistair Begg uh, believes that homosexuality is wrong. He hasn't changed that his views on that. Uh, he does not believe that homosexual marriage is valid and that the practice of homosexual activity is, as the Bible says, an abomination. So all four of us were in agreement with that. But, Walker, what we could not get them to change, and they said that Al Begg is not going to change his mind, was on the issue of whether Christians should attend, because that is what Al Begg was saying. Yes, He was saying Christians should attend, and bring a gift
5: yes that's right and the goal of the call and the goal of all Christians when approaching these issues should be reconciliation but reconciliation and truth um, and so that was our goal with the call with Alistair Begg's team and unfortunately we didn't get there um, but we did press the issue multiple multiple times and, and we even asked point-blank um, so are, are you guys stating that pastor Alistair Begg is standing by his original comment he has no regrets he didn't misspeak he doesn't want to further clarify nothing and they said, yes, he's standing by his original comment. So very disappointing. And, um, you know, I even told Ed this and the the gentleman and lady that we were on the call with, with Truth for Life, that Pastor Alistair Begg has such a long, decades-long track record of biblical fidelity and truthfully teaching the Word of God that this is extremely disappointing. This, this isn't something that we saw coming. This isn't like some of the others. Uh, uh, evangelical leaders that have drifted. This is not one that, that was on the list um, that we, we could have seen this coming. So a couple things, So couple the things.
4: question is, if a Christian goes to a homosexual wedding, are they approving of it? And our answer here is absolutely. And here's the example I used. And I gave this to Pastor Begg's team. I said, if, I, if my best friend cheats on his wife and starts to have an illicit relationship with his secretary, and then wants to divorce his wife and marry that other woman and comes to me and asks me to come, maybe be his best man. What would I say? I would say, brother, no, I'm not coming to your marriage. I'm not going to participate, but I'm not even going to attend. What you need to do is to repent of this sexual sin and reconcile with your wife. I I think most Christians understand that. If you go to the wedding, you are approving. Of the new relationship this man has embarked on, and you are approving of what he has done to his wife. And you are going to celebrate the marriage. When you show up at a wedding, I mean, let's face it. You show up at a wedding, and you go to the reception. You are going to... And you bring a gift. And you bring a gift. You're going to walk up to that couple and say, congratulations. You're going to shake their hands, these two men. Yeah. And you're going to shake their hands and say, congratulations. That is... a a sinful act, you are approving of what they're doing. In my personal opinion, you could be culpable in God's eyes if those people go to hell because you would not preach the gospel to them and preach the gospel of repentance and faith. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and and
5: for those who didn't tune in you 15, 20 minutes ago, um, uh, our team did talk to the Truth for Life team yesterday on the phone uh, with an attempt to to, uh, have them and have Pastor Begg um, admit that, that, that he gave bad advice. Right. And he shouldn't have, uh, but they- They, they double do down. They
3: double down. Yep. So that, that is what mm. it is.
5: Well, there you have it.
0: Uh, he's been confronted about this, and he's had an opportunity to think clearly. And also the men around him, the other elders, have had a chance to think clearly about this. And the decision uh, was made to double down on it, to stand by that initial terrible advice that Alistair Begg gave. So, I can't bring in the d- insanity defense. Really, none of us can at this point. Uh, they've had uh, enough time to think through it. Um, the last clip I want to play before giving some final thoughts is uh, a clip from uh, last Sunday. And this is Sunday morning. And this is what Alistair Big had to say.
1: I want to do what I'm not prepared to do this morning, and that is to acknowledge uh, the amazing amount of uh, traffic that there has been and noise on the internet in relationship to what I told you about uh, some months ago. And um, uh, my colleagues felt it would be good if I said something about this. So I don't want to do it now as it goes out into cyberspace, but I'm happy to do it. It's for, it's for our church family." And um, I said jokingly to somebody in you know, my—making um, uh, an attempt at compassion, I, uh, I ended up, you know, starting a, a massive fire. I would fully have anticipated some of the other things I've said would be far, far, you know, far more inflammatory than this. But um, we should have known that, you know, beg wouldn't manage compassion. So let's pray.
0: You can you can tell something here. Uh, He's quivering. He's. um, I I don't want to read too much into it. I don't know if he's scared. I don't know exactly what's causing the surface level things we're seeing, but but there's certainly A uh, a profound disappointment on his face as he tells this to his congregation, and our prayer needs to be that that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Um, He his defense here, I I suppose it's a defense, is that he was trying to be compassionate and he messed it up because he's just not good at compassion. Which I mean, that's just flimsy. Uh, This is not compassionate to try to reinforce someone's lie that they're believing. First of all, but secondly more importantly, uh, this went out broadcasted widely on the truth for life broadcast. That's my understanding at least. And it sounds like he has a radio microphone there. So, um, I know that it's accompanying a teaching series, but this isn't a Q and a that accompanies the teaching series. So, uh, this has already gone out widely, you know, even if it was something he just did with his church and someone put it out there widely, it's out there pretty widely. And to just keep whatever response to his church, uh, and let's assume, let's, well, let's just, for the sake of uh, argument and good faith, let's just say that he actually said, you know, that was a dumb thing, I shouldn't have said it. That was wrong, actually. And, and he only said it to his church, no one else got to hear it. Then there's a lot of people that will take what he said broadly, that was broadcast, and they're going to attend uh, and participate in things they should not be sinful participation, uh, based on what he said and the correction they will not hear because he's keeping it to only his church. Now I am not under the illusion that he corrected this, but he may be, I I could see him saying, well, I was clumsy. I shouldn't have said it that way. Or, you know, who knows? I mean, he gave us a little preview with, you know, he, he was trying to be compassionate and he couldn't manage compassion. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I spoke too soon and I recorded this entire podcast and, uh, I was not aware. I, I guess the clip actually came out after I recorded it. That Alistair Beg has truly doubled down on this. So I, I figure I will. I will uh, still. You will still see the same ending to the podcast that I, I planned on Monday, which is when I recorded this. It's being released on Tuesday. But um, but I, I figured before you hear it, you need to hear this clip from a sermon called "Compassionate Compassion Versus Condemnation." You can go to. Uh, parkside church youtube channel and watch the whole thing compassion versus condemnation but like i said i recorded it and it was after i recorded it that this uh, was released and you need to see it so this is alistair Beg completely doubling down on his comments about attending and giving a gift at a transgender wedding ceremony in
1: that conversation with that grandmother i was concerned about the well-being of their relationship more than anything else hence my counsel Don't misunderstand that in any way at all. If I was in the receiving end of another question about another situation from another person in another time, I may answer absolutely differently. But in that case, I answered in that way. And I would not answer in any other way, no matter what anybody says on the internet, as of the last ten days. If that were the case, I would never… If that were the case, I would never. I should never have said it in the first place. If people want to, me to recant and to repent, to repent? I, I, I repent daily because I say a lot of things that I shouldn't say. I mean, check with Sue. But the fact of the matter is, I'm not ready to repent over this. I don't have to.
0: Okay. Well, there it is. Uh, back to the rest of the podcast, but. Two things that I mentioned before that I wanted to just briefly touch on. One, and these are things that I'm sort of developing in my own head as we <laughs> as we uh, sink faster and faster into paganism in the Western world. Um, one is this notion of being a witness. I have heard many Christians, some of whom I respect, friends even, uh, tell me that I should or we should, as Christians, be very understanding of homosexual inclinations. Be very compassionate. We should see people who abstain from those things uh, as brave if they're claiming to be a Christian, and um, but they can still have this identity, and we need to make all kinds of rooms in our churches for single people, uh, so that it really as a way to make homosexual people feel more uh, included and less on the outside. Um, that's really what that is. And... I, I've heard, I mean, I give you a lot of other examples. Like I, I even, you know, I've seen Christians, people that I knew, people I respected, people in whose homes I was, you know, in Bible studies saying things like, we shouldn't celebrate Mother's Day in church because what does it say to um, all, what does it say to our witness to all the single women out there or the women who have had abortions and they feel bad about it and you're just bringing it up on Mother's Day when you celebrate motherhood. And I'm kind of done with it. <laughs> I'll be honest, I'm done with it. There is true compassion uh, as Christians we are supposed to have. And it has been corrupted. Uh, I think, you know, Joe Rigney talks about the sin of empathy. I think I I heard Doug Wilson talk about it before Joe Rigney. I'm not sure who started talking about it. I think that might factor into this to some extent. Uh, It's a fair critique to say we have traded in uh, empathy for sympathy or sympathy for empathy, rather. And I think that... We want to affirm everything about someone in order to be welcoming and have good manners, which is not that is not what good manners necessarily is. Uh, we would never apply this to certain sins. Uh, of course, the unfashionable things that are sins to our culture, like being racially insensitive, we would never apply it to that, right? We wouldn't say, well, you know, in order to, uh, your friend's uh, you're going to be at a Klan rally or something, I don't know. And, uh, you know, you you should attend with them. You should go if it's important to them just to be a good witness. Uh, Bring them a gift, you know, bring bring them fuel so they can light their, you know, whatever they're doing, their their ceremony, participate in it. We would never do that. Right. Um, What Beg is suggesting that Christians do in the case of a transgender wedding is more insane by a lot because it's way more biblically clear in Scripture that that is an abomination, that kind of thing. So um, it it is a desensit- desensitization. There are people we know in our regular everyday uh, lives, some of them we're related to, who have bought into some of these deceptions. And we want so badly to maintain those relationships. We want so badly to, to outdo others in showing how compassionate we are that we end up sacrificing truth. And it's just wrong. It, it's uh, for pastors who preach against postmodernism and want to say that, there's an objective standard that we should live by. They're not always living by it. And you know, this is where we have to be people of the word. We have to be very careful that we are not sucked into the world system on these issues, that we have the long view. I remember C.S. Lewis saying, and not, not that he was good in all his theology either, but one of the good pieces of advice he gave was to read old books because it gets you out of the mindset of your current time And it gives you sort of an ability to transcend and critique it from another era. And we need more of that. We need to be able to see that the things that we're considering normal in our day and age weren't normal until about five minutes ago and they shouldn't be normal. And they're not part of the design of God. And that's where we should stand with the design of God. That's how we're gonna be about truth. That's how we're gonna have true compassion. The compassionate thing to do is to say, I love you. I'm your friend. I'm here. When you break down on the side of the road, you call me. When you're in a jam, you call me. I'll listen. Um, You can fall back on me. You know, you have a place here. I can't participate in the lie that you were telling yourself that you're hurting. And you're not just hurting yourself. You're hurting that other person you think you're marrying. Number two, uh, exegetical preaching. It's a fad in a way. (laughs) That term. Uh, it's fairly recent to talk about exegetical preaching. And I understand the people, because I've been one of them in the past, that I just want to find a church that preaches the word. I just want to go to a church that's verse by verse. And I still feel that way to some extent. (laughs) I want to go to a church that's going to preach the word. But I think the um, deception that, or or at least the, the way that we can go overkill on this is looking at a very... Blank slate biblical approach, where it is um, it is a person who has, typically not much more than their Bible and perhaps, you know, the original languages, looking at scripture and then doing a lot of academic work in the scripture, and then conveying that to us in a chronological order based on a passage without a lot of application. Um, there's a wide breadth in exegetical preaching. I would say I'm in favor of exegetical preaching, but there is a, um, I believe a problem when you have people in 2020, totally revealed this, when you have people that uh, th- there's a riot down the street where businesses are closed and they get on their Zoom sermon or whatever they're doing. And they say, turn with me to First Timothy chapter three. And they just talk about it as if nothing that's happening in the lives of people is actually happening. And it discouraged a whole lot of people. And the pastor would say, I'm just preaching the word. I'm just trying to stay on the word and what the word says. But this is one of those cases in which it's not being, you're not being any good to the people though that you're serving because they have real questions and real problems. And there's real emergencies going on out there, real things that need to be dealt with. And sometimes that was used as a shield to prohibit someone or to, to allow someone to not, talk about those things, those more controversial things, because, well, I'm, I'm just using my time to talk about the word. And we're, we're getting into the nuance of what these Greek words mean about you know is, is, about something like predestination or some, some important issue, but it's not the issue that's pressing at that time. Now, I'm not saying you should be a slave to the calendar and the news cycle at all. Um, I, I think that you need to be going through scripture. You need to be teaching your people how to study the Bible in your sermons if you're a pastor. Uh, but one of the things I've noticed is when you go back and you start reading older sermons, uh, if you, if you go back to, um, you know, you, even, you don't even have to go back that far, go back to Spurgeon even, and look at his sermons and how much application is in those sermons, how much observation is in those sermons and taking the scripture and, and applying it to things he observed in his congregation. Uh, you can go to, to, uh, back to even some of the Puritans, if you wanted Edwards, you can go, I, I read a lot of, uh, reformers. I read Calvin. I like to read Luther. Um, I, I like to read Augustine. I, I Occasionally, I like to go back to the early church fathers. Look at what they often said. It was much more practical than some of the exegetical things that, that are coming out of pulpits today that are so focused on staying within the boundaries of the text that they don't get outside of it to talk about what's actually going on. So why do you say all that, John? I say all that to say this. Alistair Begg in this Q&A does get outside the text to try to apply it, but it's not something that he is known for. It's not something that is typically done in, in, in an exegetical framework. And he, bring, he does bring a lot of illustrations into his sermons and so forth. He's actually a good storyteller, but, and I have listened to a bunch of Alistair Big preaching, maybe not as much as some of you, but he is someone who wants to really explain what are the nuances of this text? What is the word saying here? And I think some of his social views potentially could be hidden because of that, because he's not constantly talking about those things. He's not uh, bringing these these principles into the realm of everyday life. And then when he does do it, sometimes you're going to find, wait a minute, I guess maybe he doesn't actually, maybe we're not on the same page. Maybe he's not seeing the same applications that seem obvious from scripture. And so this is just a a general warning to everyone out there. This is a lot of this podcast is John Harris opinion because that's what people wanted. They wanted my opinion on this. But my opinion is if you are a pastor, you need to be um, just very careful about getting too academic. You're feeding sheep, sheep who live in the real world, who have wolves that want to eat them. And because of that, you need to give them food that they can digest that will actually bring them nutrients and make them strong and if you are constantly giving them things that explain the technicalities of a text without showing them how this actually applies to the decisions of their everyday life, then you're gonna do a few things. One is you're probably gonna alienate people from your leadership because they feel like, if I don't know Greek, how can I be an elder or something? The other thing is uh, you are going to uh, create conditions in which people think that that's the godly holy thing, is to really get academic about this stuff. And they will forget sometimes about the where the rubber meets the road in the daily life. And so the the highest spiritual good tends to be the knowledge and, and understanding intellectually. And that's important, but that's not a, the, the full enchilada, um, as, as we know, to, to be a godly person. It's not, that doesn't, you can have that and not have innate character, right? Um, and then of course, the third thing is Uh, You don't actually get to expose where the differences between you and other congregants might be on important matters that need to be exposed and need to be explored. So some pastors, I've heard this many times. I remember during 2020, I heard this so many times. Uh, people would send me sermons. I was even in a church. I remember I was in a big church in California. And I remember the pastor went up there. I'm proud that we've been able to try to keep this congregation together through all the, the things that, that happened in 2020. And the reason is is because basically we don't talk about it. <laughs> all right, We just keep it to the word. Well, if you're just keeping it to the word and you're never getting outside the the, the situation that existed in the first century or you know going back to, to whatever biblical time period and you're not actually applying it, then what good are you actually doing? What difference are you actually making? I guess that is your only reward. You kept the church together in some shallow way. So not all of this perhaps applies to Alistair Begg, and I'm not saying it all does, but I figured it was a good opportunity to bring it up because I think it potentially does. And it would at least be a framework for explaining why it's not just Alistair Begg. There's a lot of other people in the last few years that we've kind of just woken up to that we thought, wait a minute, this person said so many good things. How can they get off the rails on this? And there could be a number of explanations, but, um, b- but my expectations for Alistair Begg were not very high because he didn't take those hard stands at the very least. And to hear him say this, I'm like, okay, you know, I, I really, um, I-, I really wish that I could just say he's older and he's losing it because he's had so many faithful years of exegeting the text, but that doesn't necessarily mean that his applications have always been uh, in it privately, his applications in his mind uh, of, of what the text says uh, have been spot on. So um, so I, I hope that helps some of you out there to think through some of these things. Some of you are going through similar situations. You're in churches where these things are, have become issues and you're trying to navigate them. And, and these are just some potential things, in my opinion, that have in the reformed evangelical world become stumbling blocks and have prevented clear communication uh, from taking place. and um, And we need to be clear. So um, in closing, uh, I'll just say a few things to reiterate from the previous podcast in which I talked about this. Leaders should demonstrate responsibility, Luke 16, 10. They should be pure in heart, Proverbs 16, 7. They should serve one master, Luke 16, 13, and they should be tested, 1 Timothy three ten. These are all things that leaders should do. And when they're not, we need to confront them. First um, Thessalonians 5, Proverbs 28, 13, Matthew 7, 3 through 5, you'll all talk about confronting brothers and sisters in Christ. And then it should be with the, uh, it, it's exactly what the American Family Radio people did, with the eye to restore them as brothers in Christ. And if the restoration doesn't happen though, then we have to warn others. And that's what they did and, and at American Family Radio. And that's what I'm doing. I'm warning you. I'd be careful of Alistair Big at this point. His judgment is not good. He's been given the opportunity to repent and his judgment is not good. And yes, I know because many people have told me he's scheduled to speak at Shepherds Conference with John MacArthur and um, I, I only see two options there: either he shows up and he is confronted on this issue publicly, or he doesn't come. And you say, John, that seems kind of harsh. Well, this isn't a small issue. You know, this isn't uh, this isn't even something like the impeccability of Christ and debating whether or not uh, you know Christ could potentially have sinned. As big of an issue as that is, um, this is: should we engage in a celebration? that god hates it's so fundamental and if you're blind to that uh that's a pretty basic i don't think it's a high bar to say that you're going to be off in other areas as well or at least the danger exists for that and so uh you're a danger you're a danger to the pulpit once you start making statements like that and then doubling down on them and you don't back up from them Uh, and that's where alistair beg is right now so let's let's pray for repentance let's pray for that that conviction that maybe we were seeing in that one clip that that would be pronounced that that would be that that he would just you know say you know what I was wrong and that faith uh that he would be able to restore some trust with people who have lost it for him because you know I still it breaks my heart to be honest and I know that doesn't maybe get conveyed in the podcast as much because I'm busy explaining but um it does it it really does I, I I happen to personally like him I really do I mean he's when I talk to him he's so affable someone that I love to just go hang out with and hear his story just listen to him talk his accent alone right but I I just think he's in so many ways a wonderful and and gracious man on a personal level. So I hate to see this, but this is the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. So, um, let's just pray for repentance. Let's pray that people don't take his advice. And, uh, those are my thoughts on Alistair Big. So hopefully that is helpful for you all. God bless.